So do we know what's up with David? So here's the text that I got a couple minutes ago. Also sick. Okay, he said sock. And then he said also sick, but you can be a sock too. I've had enough NyQuil. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) But he's not here yet, so I don't know. And with that, we hope he's not coming. (laughs) (laughs) Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. This podcast is sponsored by New Relic. To track and optimize your application's performance, go to rubyrogues.com slash newrelic. This episode is sponsored by Code Climate. Raise the visibility of quality within your team with Code Climate and start shipping better code faster. Try it free at rubyrogues.com slash codeclimate. Does your application need to send emails? Did you know that 20% of all email doesn't even get delivered to the inbox? SendGrid can help you get your message delivered every time. Go to rubyrogues.com slash sendgrid, sign up for free, and tell them thanks. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 144 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Avdi Grimm. Hello from deep in the warm depths of a tauntaun. <laughs> James Edward Gray. I'm going to need your TPS reports at the end of this call. Josh Susser. Yeah, hi from Drury, California. I mean, sunny. I mean, well, it's California out there. You said sunny. I bet Avdi's jealous. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and uh, this week we're going to be talking about passion. For example, if you are passionate enough to crawl inside of a tauntaun to stay warm. <laughs> Did you guys see the Mythbusters where they made a tauntaun? No. <laughs> what? I need to see this. It was like two or three episodes ago. It was uh, they did Star Wars myths. Oh man, I'm just I'm on Netflix, so I I just have old ones. <laughs> Get with the times, <laughs> F- folks. I'm really passionate about doing this podcast. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm over- you're not, I'm, Josh. I'm overcome by emotion. No, you're not. I can't <laughs> contain myself. All right. So what started this off, Avdi? <laughs> okay, so uh, I guess I, I kicked this thing off. I, I wrote a couple of blog articles. I wrote one... Novellas. Wi- hmm? Novellas. <laughs> I was going to well, say, fir- I read most of your f- next book. <laughs> the first one wasn't that long. The, um, so I wrote a blog article called The Moderately Enthusiastic Programmer, where I basically took a look at the tendency, um, the sort of increasing theme I've been seeing in like job descriptions and job ads and just in the rhetoric of programming in general, uh, where people talk about passion a lot. Like if you look at, at, you know, listings for software jobs, they want you to be passionate about software or passionate about this or passionate about that. And they want to tell you all about how their team is passionate about product development or, you know, passionate about all these different things. And so I, I wrote about that and how I feel like that's kind of odd because Passion to me is a very, very strong word. It just, you know, it describes the feelings that I have for a very few things in my life. Things like my family, my wife, uh, you know, certain social justice topics, stuff like that. I feel very passionate about. And it, it strikes me a little weird, all the different things that that word is, is being used for. And I, I realized, I made, I can't kind of came to the realization that, you know, despite the fact that I am, you know, I'm somebody who talks all about how much fun programming is and how much I love it. And I try to share that love with everyone else. I don't think of myself as a passionate programmer. I am a very enthusiastic programmer. I love what I do. But, you know, my passions, the things that I am emotional about, the things that 
can bring me to tears, those are not coding. So I wrote about that, and then I followed it up with a much, much longer article um, because I, I thought about it for a while longer, and I realized that, honestly, I think the thing where, where job ads describe passion or require passion is really just a symptom of something bigger that's, that's affecting the software industry. Avdi, that sounds like a, a nice sequel for us uh, to the um, loyalty and layoffs episode we did last year. But, yeah, but kind of related, I would say. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But but uh, I just want to play, play devil's advocate for a second here and uh, accuse you of quibbling over semantics. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we live in a world where literally now literally means figuratively. <laughs> <laughs> so what if if recruiters you know use the word passionate to mean really excited? Or you know, dedicated to your job, or you know, whatever else it's a it's a stand-in for. You know, so what? Right. I'm so glad you said that. And that's something that that a few people brought up in response. Now, I should say that another one of the reasons that we're doing this, decided to do an episode on this, is that these articles got a huge response, um, way bigger than I expected. Just hundreds and hundreds of comments on various. Did you say sites. it's a passionate response. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> So, and, and a few people, a few people brought up that, that objection and, you know, that it's just, you know, the language changes with, with usage. But I feel confident in saying that this usage is outside of the norm. This usage of describing passion, of using passionate to just mean somebody who cares about their job or somebody who's dedicated to their job is outside of the norm. And, and after I wrote the first article, somebody pointed me to this wonderful David Mitchell video, which we'll, we'll put in the show notes, uh, where, He's basically taking a look at various advertisements where companies are talking about how passionate they are for things. So he starts out with a company that's passionate about sofas uh, and then moves on to a company that's passionate about tax optimization. It is a hilarious video. Uh, Some of you may know David Mitchell from like uh, Mitchell and Webb and and other programs, but terrific little four-minute video. But it basically, I mean, it points out better than I could the fact that this overuse of passion to talk about basically doing your job, you know, you know, like you mean it. It's not just weird to me. It's weird to a lot of people. And it's it's laughably weird. At one point, he talks about this group that's passionate about everything you do, quote. And uh, he's all, University. Right. That he's all, must be so exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's really good. How about, can, can we get like an actual definition? What's your working definition of passion, Opti? There are a lot of definitions. When I asked Google to define passion for me, because obviously, you know, Google is the authority on everything, uh, I get uh, some definitions like strong and barely controllable emotion, um, a state or outburst of strong emotion, intense sexual love, um, an intense desire or enthusiasm for something. So there's there's a definition lower down that's a little bit similar to how some of these people are using it. And a thing arousing enthusiasm. It's also a, a, something else that a lot of people identify with that term is the suffering and death of Jesus. So, right. you know, something that somebody felt so strongly about that they went to their death for it. Someone else pointed out to me that in the eti- that the etymology of passion is interesting. And I think I've actually lost the window that I had that open in. It's from the Latin word for suffering. Yes, yes, the Latin word for suffering. So passion comes from suffering. So kind of getting back to Josh's question of, you know, so what if they're trying to uh, use this term to just mean, you know, excited about your work or whatever. I think there is an important so what there. One, words are important and language is important. 
and how we talk about things is important. Surely we've kind of identified that several times on this podcast. But I think what Avdi's getting at here is, you know, a couple of things. Like, one, if you want me to be passionate about my work, does that mean you want me to merely be enthusiastic about what I'm doing, enjoying it, etc.? Or does that mean you want to exploit me and my passion as a resource for your company? Like, get me to stay late, work long hours, do other things. Except e- equity in, in, instead of actual money. Right, exactly. And if we don't draw a line on the meaning of this term, if we allow it to be muddled, then how do we know we're not falling into that darker category? Right. And that's, yeah, you hit the nail the nail on the head there. That was definitely my, my first point is, you know, is that I think that it is often code in these job listings for, you know, we expect you to go above and beyond, you know, to basically dedicate yourself to the job, to work long hours if, you know, if something's not done, to stay as long as, as it takes until it's done. And the replies I got really, I think, confirmed that. I think it, it struck a chord with a lot of people because many, 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 many people replied saying, yes, this is exactly my experience, that it was used as code for we expect you to half kill yourself over this. Right. And also to be a public relations officer for the company 24-7. Right, and, right. and that's another point that, that's really interesting and that I think is, is kind of a recent thing. I mean, it used to be, you know, jobs have always expected a lot of employees and there have always been exploitive jobs, but it seems like in the software industry, not only can jobs be, you know, expect a ton of you, you know, expect your, your time 24 seven, but they can also, also expect sort of your vocal loyalty. You know, they expect you to be out there talking about how great this company and this project is. Now um, I, I want to jump in here cause I've worked for some companies that I really enjoyed working for. And, you know, I, I don't know that I would use the word passion, but I did tell people how awesome it was to work for them or how excited I was about what they were doing. But, That's pretty great. <laughs> but at the yeah. same time, I mean, I, yeah, to, to kind of have that as an expectation without necessarily having earned it, you know, without actually, you know, providing a terrific place to work or, you know, providing the opportunities that people are looking for, things like that. I, I think that's really where the problem comes in. And, and well, yeah, and earning then, it is key. And then they also dress it up as a virtue and call it passion. Yeah. So um, before we get too far from what we were talking about a second ago, Yes, it's about this trend of companies, you know, using it as kind of as code for ex- for being exploitive. But the the other reason that it's not, I don't think it's okay to just say, okay, we're going to use passion to mean enthusiastic now, is that I think that there's a a tr- strong trend of conflating passion and enthusiasm, and basically sort of telling people that passion is the same thing as enthusiasm, or it's the same thing as as enjoyment. And that enables stuff like basically this. I don't know. I, it's hard to put into words. I wrote a ridiculous number of words on this, and, and now I'm having trouble um, explaining let, let, it. But maybe I can help you out, Avdi. Go for it. The, that the obsession with passion, perhaps that what that's doing is that's devaluing ordinary enthusiasm. Yeah, it's it's devaluing enthusiasm, but it's on the flip side of that. I think it's devaluing true passion because the thing is, you know, I do have some things that I am very, very passionate about. And, you know, like I, I said earlier, you know, things like my family, you know, keeping them safe and well provided for. I mean, these are things that are very emotional topics for me, you know, and I would sacrifice and have sacrificed a lot for them. 
And I think for me, that's what passion is about. It's, it's the things that you do because they are, they flow directly from your values as a person. They are things that you would sacrifice for, that you would, you know, make tough decisions for. And I think that there's a trend in, particularly like in, in, in startups and in Silicon Valley to say, you found some, th- this programming is something in, you enjoy. Congratulations, you found your passion. And that's not the same as passion. Something that you enjoy doing is not the same as passion. Passion is something that often hurts. It's difficult to, to discover your true passions and embracing them can mean making some very serious sacrifices. I mean, you know, I, I embraced my passion for having a family from a very young age and that meant giving up quite a lot of things. It meant giving up a lot of hobbies. It meant giving up dreams of being uh, you know, living a bohemian lifestyle or of just like globetrotting wherever I wanted to, whenever I wanted to, a whole lot of things. And passion isn't always fun. You know, people that are passionate about humanitarian work, they open themselves up to illness and mortal danger and all kinds of stuff. Those are things that you do because they're part of the, the, the you know, the deepest part of you, the deepest part of what makes you who you are and what, what drives you. And, I think that there's this a movement afoot to say that thing you enjoy that's your passion and that that's bad enough but I think what's worse about it is that it really plays into some exploitive behavior. Yes. Right. Now Avdi okay so there's definitely places where where someone's passion does line up with their job. Yes. You know I I imagine that the people working on the like the original Apollo program trying to send people to the moon. Mhm. Yeah, I, that's the kind of people I imagine are like supremely passionate, or the or the people who built the original um, the, the SR seventy one Blackbird, the skunk work, skunk works thing, where they were. I just, think some of them probably were. I mean, I've yeah. I've worked in in you know the military industrial complex, and some of those, a lot of those folks are just doing you know they're they're uh, doing their job and getting paid. Uh, absolutely, but the you know the people behind you know the core people behind those projects, they you know they probably had a lot of passion for what's going on, and you can look at all sorts of businesses around, and you can tell that the people who run those those businesses really care deeply about what they're doing in the world. Yes, but to work at that company, you don't have to share their passion. Right, right, and, and an example I use uh, for programming is you know there's the Sunlight Foundation where they work on programming projects that help um, enable transparency and democracy. And I imagine that most, if not all, of the people working there are very passionate about democracy, and they get to you know pour that straight into their coding work. But and that's great, you know. But you know, not every job is going to be like that. Not every every product that you work on, even if it's your product, even if it's something you came up with, is going to be something like that, where you know you're getting to use your programming skills towards something that's like your your deepest passion in life, and that's okay. That's you know one of the things I'm trying to say is that it's not like you have to you know find a way to to work on your deepest passion using programming. You can be an enthusiastic programmer and still have your deepest passions lie elsewhere. You can also change things over time. The thing that I've been trying to do with my career in the last decade or so is I I will oscillate between taking a job that I work on something that I think is a good cause or it's going to contribute to the world in some way beyond you know somebody making some money. And maybe I won't make as much you know, in salary working on that kind of job. But then the next time I, I, I'm looking for work, I'll focus more on, okay, let me, let me get something where it's going to take care of me. And then, you know, and five years later when I'm looking for something else, I'll be in a better, better position to be able to swing back the other way and work on something for a good cause. Right. So it's sure. like you don't, you don't have to do it all the time. You, you, know, you can follow your passion and then you can be very practical and, you know, make sure that your house is in good order. 
I think the term that we like to use for this is orthogonality. Maybe you like right. to use that term. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, to use a nice programmery word, you know, it's you geek. <laughs> your passion is orthogonal to well, it's to your job, and it's also and those things are orthogonal to the things that you just really enjoy. It's nice if you can bring two or or all three of those things together. It's really great if you can, but it's not essential. So that I, I like what you just said there. It's not essential. So. Katrina's not here, and I, I feel compelled to uh, point out some of the things she's taught me about this over time. One of the problems with this passion gospel, quote-unquote, is what if you don't have it? Like, what if you are in a job or doing something or whatever, and you are not passionate about it? You're not this crazy, over-the-top, you know, whatever The problem is if we tote this, if we say this is the only way, this is the only path, then if you're not, if you don't feel this, then what, you're screwed or, you know, like you can't do this? I mean, that it doesn't leave any kind of option, right? I've worked on websites that I definitely was not passionate about the product, right? Or or maybe I was ambivalent about it or whatever. You know, they, I wasn't, yeah. this wouldn't be a site I was using. You know, I understand some people might or whatever, but this wouldn't be a site I was using. And uh, one of the things Katrina told me once that, that really stuck with me was in those cases, when you find yourself in those cases, what you do is you, you try to get interested in the code, mm-hmm. not the project, right? That, right. Uh, you know, yeah, we don't, you know, care what about this particular site, but ooh, this particular problem of how are we going to optimize this one kind of crazy query, that's interesting to us or whatever, you know, and that's okay. It's okay to get right. interested in that and to use that as a, a motivator for how you go through it. Um, yeah, right. So I think there's a, a useful technique to try and separate sort of immediate versus delayed gratification. You know, taking the short, short-term short view versus the long-term view. And, you know, there's all sorts of studies people have been doing recently that show that, that those people who can see that their delayed gratification is going to be greater than whatever they get through immediate gratification do better in life, they're more successful, all that good stuff. You know, what all good things come to those who wait, I guess is what they say. But your passion is a really, it's a, it's a visceral thing and it's something you want right now. So, you know, if I'm passionate about chocolate desserts, I want it right now, right? (laughs) So if you take this whole passion argument to its one logically absurd extreme, it means that anything you're doing in any moment, you must be passionate about. So even if you're like really passionate about doing online payment systems and part of realizing that that dream is building a little JavaScript widget to do something on on your phone, you may not be passionate about programming in JavaScript. So when you get to that point where you have to build that widget, what are you going to do? You don't have passion for working on on a widget. So if you can recontextualize what you're doing to be related to your actual goal of, oh, wow, I really want to you know make this payment system, and you see that it's part of that, then that can be motivation for what you're building you know, yeah. and, do, and doing that work. But similarly, you can take that whole thing about, oh, you know, I'm not passionate about building payment systems. It's like, well, so what? You're probably passionate about, you know, living your life and, and, 
you know, that's a part of living your life. So, you, oh, great. You know, you make money, you have a good career, you have a good family life, et cetera. So it's like, yeah. And I'll bet, you know, most of the time when you're working on the, you know, these things that even if the individual piece of technology you're working on isn't something you're passionate about, there's a lot of enjoyment in, in programming. I mean, I assume that, that who I'm talking to right now is like 95% people who get a kick out of programming because otherwise they wouldn't be listening to this podcast. You know, so I'm definitely not saying, well, just treat programming as a job and get through it because that's not me. And I don't think that's who, you know, we're talking about. I, I do want to talk about those people just for a minute. And, and They're that- fine, too. Yeah, but the thing that's interesting is that I've worked with several people where it was just a job, mm-hmm. where they didn't have the quote-unquote passion for it. And I almost envy those people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Sometimes it's like, boy, I wish I could just like not worry about this for a while. But is there something we can do for those folks? Because sometimes the, the people who don't care, I mean, they really are kind of a drag on the team. And that's why these folks are putting this into their job postings and things like that where they're going – we want passionate people is what they're, what some of them are saying is, is certainly the, you know, we want people that will work long hours and do whatever we tell them to and blah, blah, blah. But some of them are looking for people who care enough to actually go in and do it right and, and right. be excited we're about writing for, the code. They're just saying we're looking for people who give a crap, which, you know, right. I mean, my, my perspective on that is if that's what you're looking for, then put that in your, in your job ad, you know. My next job ad will we're say looking we're for looking that, for people who give a crap. <laughs> exactly. Or, you know, we're looking for people who, who are enthusiastic about programming. You know, it's it's not so hard to say that. And I want to work with people who are enthusiastic. I'll be honest. I, I enjoy working with people who are th- enthusiastic about programming. And, you know, I, I got started working with people who weren't enthusiastic about programming, and I did not enjoy that, that aspect of, of the work. I, I definitely agree. It, it just makes a huge difference. And we've already oh. talked about the problems of coining that in the term passionate. But I do want to say, while we're talking about being passionate about, about your craft, that, you know, I hear that a lot, and I'm not convinced that even that is as positive as it's always made out to be. <laughs> I know, I know. It's like, yeah, I have to admit that that from time to time I do dream about writing code, but I also dream about sitting in traffic, and I'm not very passionate about that. <laughs> Some days I, I very passionately want to pick up my laptop and throw it out the window. <laughs> right? I'd love right. to see that. I, I do have a question, though, regarding this, and that is that sometimes... For for long periods, actually, I'll wind up on a contract that isn't very stimulating. It's not exciting. You know, the the code is just like, I mean, I, I love writing Ruby, but, you know, you're writing something that you've written a million times kind of thing. You know, the majority of it is boilerplate stuff. How do you get passionate about that? Or do you just need to be finding something else to do? You don't need to get passionate about it. See, I mean, I guess one thing that, that, that I... <laughs> That's I, the I whole feel, point, right? How do you yeah, get excited about that, I guess? That's a better question. Actually, <laughs> I'm reading a book about that. It talked about, there's several examples, but I use one from San Francisco since we have Josh on the call. But in San Francisco, the garbage collection system is run very differently than it is in a lot of places. And the individual garbage collectors have a lot of say in how the company runs and how it's organized and when collections happen and how the process changes. And they have this kind of ownership and this say in how everything goes. And uh, it turns out that when you ask these garbage collectors, something that we typically think of as a very undesirable job, about their job satisfaction, they say it's very high. They like it. And it turns out that their autonomy, this this sense of uh, control they have, 
over the process and how it gets done ends up trumping the thing that they end up having to do, right? And because they're allowed to do it their way, that that turns out to be more important. And they're allowed to make their own system, and that's how they enjoy it, right? Sometimes in programming, we have that thing where, oh, this is that horrible task I have to do every Thursday, and it drives me crazy. I know, I'll automate it. And we all know that sometimes automating it's worth it, sometimes it's not. But sometimes it's just fun, right? It is. Like, like mm-hmm. I'll take this test that I hate to do, and I'll teach a computer to do it, so I don't have to hate it anymore, or whatever. You got to do that stuff. You got to, you know, do those things that are just fun. I worked on one project for a little bit where the team had a a tradition that was fully supported by the product manager. Of Friday afternoons was fun feature time. It was basically developers' pick, and we would just get to work on things that we wanted to put into the uh, website, and. You know, none of them were, were very significant or consequential, but it kept everyone engaged in the, in the product. And the other thing is that when we were working on these things, often we would use that as an opportunity to refactor and just you know, sort of do grooming on the code base. So that, that was a, a nice perk to get us through the week and to keep our spirits up. How yeah. does, um, you know, get, or, I'm sorry, Google has their uh, 20% time, you know, which we could talk about the, the dark sides of that too, but... Still, it's it's that, you know, they're giving people the ability to work on things they want. Or companies like GitHub, they have obviously spent a significant amount of effort in developing a chat room robot that puts mustaches on people. <laughs> right? I mean, it does other things, too, yeah. of course. But, you know. It, yeah, it tells still, Chuck Norris jokes. Right, no, sure. exactly. <laughs> right. I, I do want to say one, one other thing about just the idea of being passionate about coding. Like I said, I want to. I, I do enjoy working with enthusiastic people. I'm not so sure about working with passionate people, and I, I say this because. Well, let me give you an example. I in one of the jobs that I worked at, there were these two programmers, and I think it, they were. I think they were both PhDs, and I think it's safe to say that they were both very passionate about the architecture of the software. And unfortunately, they did not see eye to eye. And they would literally have screaming arguments in the conference room for long periods of time, scream at each other about the design of the software and about who is right. And so like you're saying whether or not to use braces or do it. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I think that qualifies as passion, but it was not helpful. Um, yeah. Those yeah, that, arguments, that they did not... That, hmm? I, I'm sorry, Avdi, that doesn't sound like passion to me. That sounds like two people who were insecure about their positions and were being defensive. No, well, I, I actually disagree. I, I think I agree with Avdi, like, because I think I've actually been that person. Well, like, that's the thing. I have too, and I've watched other people do it, but I've, I've certainly watched myself be it. I have been passionate about software in the past. I've gotten upset with people for being wrong, um, you know, for making the wrong choices. I've gotten upset with people for their code because it was so stupid. I've gotten angry, you know, and I've said, you know, mean things. And you know what? All those instances, those were wastes of my passion. That was wasted emotional energy. I wish that I could take them them back because it it didn't accomplish anything. It you know in the in the cases where I was right, it delayed resolution because I put them on the defensive. And you know in cases I was wrong, it delayed resolution because I was so committed passionately to my point of view. You know, there's this other word which is kind of the opposite 
of passion called dispassion. And it's defined as not influenced by strong emotion and so able to be rational and impartial. And that is actually much closer to how I would like to be when I address software. Yeah, I think, you know, there there's definitely members on programming teams where, you know, they they'll go through the commits and quibble over the line of code, you know, in the commit. And I say this fully admitting that I've been that guy, you know, and then nowadays it's like, if it works, you know, great or whatever. Like there can be value in doing things like that, like code review. We'll we'll talk about it. Sure. I mean, code review, you know, discuss, but I'm going to just come out and say, I don't think emotional attachment to coding style or, you know, to coding practices is constructive. I don't think it's it's that helpful. And I say that again, you know, just like you, James, in full recognition that I still suffer badly from this and I'm still working on it. There is one place that I think passion is undoubtedly an asset and probably a requirement. And that's for uh, being a founder because you you have to be passionate about something there Otherwise, you're just going to give up the first time you hit a significant roadblock. You know, Robert Greene Ingersoll, maybe that name's not familiar to people. He was Walt Whitman's eulogist, greatest orator of his age. He said, the greatest test of courage on earth is to bear defeat without losing heart. Yeah, so finding that courage in that heart is is like, you've got to be passionate about something. You, ha- you have to have some sort of deep emotional connection that will you know, keep you going in the face of the crushing defeat. I I will push back on that a little bit, though, and say that the passion that drives you to be a founder of something doesn't necessarily have to be passion for the thing that you are founding. Oh, right. Yeah, absolutely. It could be passion for providing for your family. And yeah, I mean, like, so, you know, I I run Ruby Ruby Tapas now. I mean, that's my job. That is a thing that I created from scratch myself. So I think that qualifies me as a founder. It's a thing that actually employs me better than any of my programming jobs did. Congratulations um, I, on that, by the way. Yeah. Thank you. Also, and, it's amazing. You know, when I was starting it out, I was still consulting. I was doing a ton of, of pair programming consulting, and I was buffering up episodes. So I was doing like four episodes a week to create the buffer of episodes that I wanted to have when I launched. And that was a horrible time. I'll be brutally honest. It was miserable. It was, I mean, you know, and also I had like, you know, a very young child and well, lots of children, but one that was very young at the time and, and just lack of sleep and exhaustion and very, very long weeks. But, you know, so you could say that I was very passionate, but the thing is, I wasn't passionate about Ruby Tapas. I love this project of mine. I love that I get to do something that I enjoy so much in order to realize my goals and I care deeply for it, and I put tons of time and energy into it. Um, I'm extremely enthusiastic about it. But the passion there was the passion, again, for providing for my family and for you know putting myself in a situation where I could spend even more time with my family while still providing for them. So you know that was what drove me to make those sacrifices and to put all that work into it. It wasn't that, you know, I don't think that you have to be passionate about a product in order to successfully found something and successfully found something really good. I'm glad you said that because I fully believe that. Like, I think the whole startup culture is one way to do it. (laughs) And I'm not sure that's even the best way to do it. Like, you know, and there are companies that like, like the Y Combinators and stuff that I feel like 
these people chew up and destroy passion. Like, I mean, they know the percentages. They know what's going to hit. It's that, you know, there's going to be, you know, this very low percentage of mega hits. And it's those mega hits that keep them in business and they can afford to have X number of failures to get to right. that next mega hit. Oh, right, yeah. And, and they, so need, they, they need the churn. Right. right. They have right. to burn through those to find the next mega hit. And they don't care. They're not, you know, that's... That's just, you're passionate, that's great, they want you to work right. hard, work fast, fail, so they can get on to the next one. You know? Yeah, right. James, this is a great point, and I think this is why we're seeing so much promotion of passion as the attractive force when trying to hire people, it, it is that, you know, as humans, we're used to, you know, passion being associated with suffering, but we're also used to being uh, thwarted in achieving our passions. You know, you fall for somebody you know, most of the time they don't fall for you in return and you have unrequited love and it's like a terrible tragedy love story, right? You know, or, you know, you see some house and you'd love to live there, but you don't get to, right? There, there's all, you know, like most of the things that we spend our, our lives dreaming about, you don't get. So when you pull people into these startup companies or whatever, and you say you're follow, you know, you're following your passion, you know, you'd be passionate about this. People are used to being disappointed in the face of their passions, but they keep going for them, right? Because that because you're passionate about it. So this is the the thing that is probably the most dangerous about it is that people assume that their passions just aren't going to work out now, but they'll keep working for them. Yeah, and and I think for the the other danger, really dangerous aspect of this is that it is very much in in the best interests of this um, this startup culture, particularly the the investor class that are sort of driving it. It is very much in their interest to convince people that their passion is to create some software product. You know, when you're, when I was young, I had, you know, a lot of energy. I had a lot of sort of latent passion and a great, you know, need to, to do something big and to make a difference in the world. And, and the thing is that, that as, as all kinds of movements, uh, you know, through history have shown us, that need is malleable. Um, you can, you know, somebody who's influential can take that need and say, here, this is your passion. This is what you should throw your passion into. And this is what I'm seeing in the startup scene is people saying, yes, your passion, you know, it, it is right and good for your passion to be about building Facebook for ferrets, you know, and that is a, a you know, it's, it's a noble thing and you will be changing the world. And there's this kind of echo chamber where everybody sort of congratulates each other and, and confirms that, yes, they are changing the world. And there are these crazy startup schools where they actually like call each other world changers and, and stuff like that. You know, and it's they're they're exploiting that that need that people have, especially when they're young and starting out to figure out, you know, what is my passion and what am I going to throw myself into? And they're saying, throw it into some ephemeral software thing and saying that, you know, that it's it is good and noble and will change the world. I want a cape. <laughs> <laughs> no kicks. They're saying uh, you can be heroes. <laughs> it's also kind of backwards. Like this is another thing Katrina taught me. I, I I was very much a follow your passion believer, and Katrina beat that out of me. So now I'm no longer a passionate person. No, <laughs> but she she uh, she made these great arguments and finally got me to read this book. Uh, it's been picked on the show three times now. So if you haven't read it, it's your fault now. But it's uh, so good they can't ignore you. And it basically talks about, like, why follow your passion is a really bad idea. Like, if you were to ask me if I am passionate about molecular biology, my answer would be, I have no idea. I know nothing about molecular biology. 
That doesn't mean no, I'm not. It means I don't know if I am, right? And people think you get passionate about something and then you learn all there is to know and, you know, get great at something. But that's kind of backwards. Like, how can you be passionate about something you don't really get the main points of, right? Like, until you've gone far enough down that road and really gained an appreciation and understanding for it, how can you be passionate about this thing? And so that the whole, you know, we're, we're picking on the startups, I guess, but that whole mindset is kind of backwards. You know, there, there are other ways to do things without, you know, this burn yourself out kind of mm-hmm. approach. There are subtly ways that you subtly gain skill and then you find the parts of it you like and then you move into the edges of those areas and try to branch beyond a little bit. And that's a way you found something basically without killing yourself. And there are books written about this, like, so good they can't ignore you. So, you know, it's just one way to do it. And kind of an exploitive dark way, which I think is really important. That's what bugs me about the whole passion discussion is Mm. the exploitive nature of it. I think it's horrible. Can we talk about Mr. Spock for a moment? Sure. Avdi, you and I were talking about Mr. Spock the other yes. day, right? Yeah. So when I was uh, in grade school, I remember that Mr. Spock was my personal hero. He was the guy who didn't fit in anywhere. You know, he wasn't human. He wasn't Vulcan. He just was awkward and a misfit everywhere. And yet he controlled all of his, uh, you, know, you know, he wasn't hurt by it. He, you know, he didn't let his bad feelings affect him. And not only that, but he was just like super awesome at everything and showed the world that it didn't matter that he wasn't like everybody else because he was great. Uh, so he was just my hero. And, you know, I was this awkward misfit kid. And, you know, I wanted to grow up to be just like him, not to be bothered by all the bad feelings that I was feeling at not fitting in. And I think that, I mean, you know, Avdi, we were talking about this, like you had a similar experience, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I loved Spock. He was my yeah. favorite Star Trek yeah. character. Yeah, so I, I think a lot of us, you know, geek kids or nerd kids grew up with somebody like Spock as our hero, that we didn't want to have all of those troubling emotions making us not feel good because we weren't fitting in, et cetera. And then we grow up and we're like, well, now I want to be, be in touch with my emotions. I want to be feeling the feels. I want to be happy and excited and passionate about things. You know, there's this like deep-seated need to feel emotionally engaged with your life, right? <laughs> so, so we look for sources of that emotional engagement that are external to ourselves. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting you bring up Spock because he's actually a really, uh, I think, a, a good example of, of a pretty well-balanced person. You know, and, and I say that because especially when you look at like the the older Spock, you know, we're getting into deep nerd territory here. But, you know, when you look at some of like in uh, Star Trek six and some of the the later appearances in movies, you know, you see that Spock is a person uh, who, you know, number one, he was certainly passionate about some things. You know, he was I think he was, he had this, this deep loyalty to his friends and he was also clearly passionate about humanitarian causes. He was always to be found working towards peace and stuff like that. You know, and uh, and and that kind of, I guess, if if that relates at all, it, it sort of points to the fact that that one can be sort of dispassionate about executing your duties. You know, you're doing your job while still working steadily towards something that you were you feel of. You know, there's a deep stream of passion in you about. Oh, yeah, 
Okay, did we just have like a meaningful conversation about Mr. Spock? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did, and it was awesome. It was amazing. High five, man. <laughs> <laughs> I have one more bit I want to add here, which is uh, James used the phrase follow your passion, and Beckett's yes. used all over the place. And, yes. you know, you have, uh, th- oh, why am I blanking on his name right now? I just like, he's like one of my heroes, um, Joseph Campbell. Um, yeah, that was his phrase, right? So I, I did not realize that was his phrase. I didn't know that either. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Joseph Campbell, he, he very much popularized that. And it, maybe I'll pick his uh, series later. Um, so he says, follow your passion or follow your bliss, actually, was the phrase that he used. And, and I think that gets changed into follow your passion a lot. But I, I think a different approach rather than follow your passion is feed your passion. Mm. You know, your passion is a, is a great source of energy and inspiration in your life. You know, it's like, you know, Avdi, you were talking about your family and how that's mm-hmm. your passion and all the amazing stuff that you've done in service of that passion. And, you know, and that's great. So, you're, you're, so I would say you're feeding your passion. So, I mean, can you maybe, I don't know, maybe you can run with that or something because I feel like I've said everything I have to say. About it. Um, yeah, well, I, and, and it's what you just said is, is an example of the fact that you can, you can actually have a lot of fun while you're pursuing your passions or while you're feeding your passions. Uh, you know? yeah, I think that's why some people got upset about your post. I did the thing you're never supposed to do and I read the comments on your post. <laughs> um, so I, I feel very brave. But, you know, there were a lot of people pushing back and I felt like they felt like you told them they couldn't be excited. Yeah. And that's the opposite of what I'm saying. I I know. I'm I'm saying I'm saying you can disengage excitement from passion and you can be you can be excited about things even when they're not part of your core passion, which is awesome because being excited about things is is great. Yes, it's very exciting. That is very exciting. So, so I, I guess the last the last thing I would say about the feed your passion is that you know, like if I am passionate, if I am a passionate cook, like I love cooking, and you know, nothing gives me greater joy in life than you know, you know, making something and putting it in front of a, a you know somebody I care about and watching them eat it and smile. Like maybe yeah. that's the best moment in my life. And that you know, like my job is nothing to do about that, right? But as long as I am engaging with my passion and it's like, you know, set aside a little time every week to be able to cook something new, you know, buy, you know, make sure I'm always buying new cookbooks and reading them. Maybe I'm listening to cooking podcasts. As long as I'm keeping that, like I'm feeding my passion, I'm not letting it wither and die because I'm, you know, from neglect, then that keeps me engaged emotionally and, you know, happy and excited about that. And that absolutely spills over into the rest of the stuff I do in my life. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a great point. You know, I, I think it's it's actually freeing to realize that you can do that because I think for some people you can get in, into a, into a, a mental situation where you think I'm just not going to have any fun in life. Someday my job will be congruent with my passion. But until then, I'm just not going to have any fun in life or until then I'm not going to be able to move forward on my passion. I think I'm probably guilty of doing this sometimes because I'm, I actually do have a pretty strong passion towards music. And that's one of the, the, the things that I kind of put aside, you know, in favor of, of some of my other passions. And that's kind of a, a tangent. But I guess, I guess the, the important thing is that you don't have to wait until your job is congruent with your passion in order to feed that passion. And, and that's a freeing realization, if that makes any sense. No, that makes total sense to me. 
So, James, what are you passionate about? <laughs> Too many things. I, I am a very, like, into it, all in kind of person, which I think is interesting because I've now, like Opti, pretty much turned against the word passion. And uh, I really get into things, you know, or programming in general and love learning new languages and, and messing with it and stuff. But do I meet the definition of you know, barely controlled emotion or willing to suffer for it. Sometimes I'll suffer a little bit, like off dimensions of taking time off to the side, making things harder for myself so I can sneak something in or or something like that. I will occasionally do that, but not like that. I mean, like tomorrow I have an entire day off that I could do whatever I want with. And while traditionally I would program or whatever, it's Valentine's Day, and I want to go play, you know, so I'm taking the girls to this indoor water park here in, in uh, Oklahoma, you know, we're going to go, uh, it's cold here, but we're going to go, and this place is like 82 degrees, and you can go swimming, and, you know, all that kind of stuff, so, you know, I definitely have, you know, fashion for my family, my my kid, my wife, and I don't think that my code is on the same level as that. And I don't feel bad about that. That's the great part. Like, I, I finally realized I, that doesn't bother me, you know, that it's not. Yeah. You know, it's, it's um, you know, the, the Buddhists talk a lot about being mindful and being fully present in whatever you're doing. But they can't stand passion. I'm probably insulting a bunch of Buddhists right now. That is like the, the, yes. the worst, the, the worst oversimplification of, of a philosophy ever committed. Uh, so I retract that. But the, the point is there is a lot of Buddhist teaching that discourages you from strong passions or from, from, you know, well, strong emotional attachments. And yet they definitely, you know, I know of a lot of, teachers that talk about being fully present in what you're doing, you know, and I think that's kind of what you're talking about, James, is being fully, whatever you're doing, you're being fully present in it. Right. Yes. I try very much to do that. I try to, you know, leave that behind and go do other things. Uh, yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's another angle I want to bring up to this passion thing. It comes up a lot in the Ruby community with job ads and stuff. People asking for ninjas and rock stars <laughs> and people that are passionate and stuff like that. And uh, I've seen people defend this to the death on Twitter. We have to be able to do this, blah, blah, blah. Waiting for the, for the job ad that, that is looking specifically for Ruby cyborgs from the future. <laughs> yeah, only if you have been genetically enhanced to, yeah, whatever. There's one thing that's interesting about this. Once every single job ad says they're looking for a passionate ninja, then it <laughs> means nothing. Anymore. Yes. <laughs> right? Like, if we all say that, then it has no meaning and you might as well just remove it from the ad because it's nothing. I was actually reading a book last night that was talking about this habit parents and children have in their schooling to get ready for Harvard. Like, that's, that's the number one thing. If you go, you know, to any like schooling expert or whatever and you ask them, you know, what's, what's the number one thing parents want to know? It's, uh, how do I get my kid into Harvard? Quote unquote. And there's this thing where like, you know, there's this formula that we all apparently know because it's, you know, ingrained in us or something. You, you know, you gotta get like 3.8 or higher GPA. You need to be in the right clubs and after school activities, blah, blah, blah. And these parents slash children 
plan their lives um, such that they'll meet all these criteria by the time they're eligible to start applying for Harvard. And then they actually talked about Harvard admission counselors. And they were like, okay, so the one thing they've seen five billion times is the kid with the 3.8 GPA, was in all the proper honor societies, (laughs) et cetera, et cetera. The only thing they really want to see is something they have not seen before, (laughs) right? That this formula that we have in our head for how to make the perfect job ad by looking for passionate ninja rock stars, it's BS, right? If you're looking for a job and you read those ads, I mean, I don't personally find jobs that way very often, which I think is telling. But if I did and I read, you know, Passionate Ninja Rock Star, I promised there would be an eye roll involved. You know, like, <laughs> I'd be like, oh, really? Wow. You know, like, that doesn't impress me. What would impress me is an ad that doesn't do that and says something meaningful without doing that, right? Yeah, definitely. Chuck, what are you passionate about, man? What am I passionate about? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, Avdi talked about a lot of the things that I'm passionate about. You know, my family, church, things like podcasting and programming. I mean, you know, I really enjoy them, but yeah, they really just don't compare. Do they connect with your passion in any way? Yeah, in the sense that, you know, those things help provide for my family and, you know, they provide me with fulfillment in in the things that I pursue. You know, they give me opportunities to, uh, you know, expand my horizons and learn new things and, and stuff like that, which I think comes close in some ways to some of these other things, but it's still not, you know, I, I don't know if I would go to the level of suffering or anything to learn some of the things that I go out and try and learn. Oh, I've suffered a lot to learn programming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really? try, try writing microcode for a while. So you've yeah. also wanted to throw your laptop out the window. On more than one occasion. <laughs> I was waiting for him to say, I have thrown my laptop out the window. <laughs> I, I wish I could say that. I mean, I was like looking to see if I could honestly say that, but I've stopped myself every time. Uh, you know, if you if you did that right now where I am, you'd actually be fine because yeah, the laptop would get nice and cushy. it would just land in like a giant snowdrift, and as but long as Wampa would, didn't eat it, yeah, but then it would start operating as a superconductor because it's so cold. <laughs> oh yeah, and then it would then it would probably take over the world. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to go back if we can one more time to the exploitive nature of this word because to me that was the whole reason I wanted to do this episode. You know, it may seem like semantics, like Josh brought up in the beginning, you know, and and several people commented on Abdi's blog that, oh, who cares how they're using this word? But, you know, it's a really small step from we want a super passionate programmer to we plan to exploit the hell out of you. In other words, we're we're looking for grad students. Yeah, I mean, it's like... And I think that is so horrible. I have I have to share this because this is so mind-blowing to me. When I was first getting into Ruby, I was really lucky, and I worked with some excellent people. At, uh, back then, it was called High Groove Studios, and uh, they've kind of gone separate ways, one group splitting off and doing Scout, and uh, the other group uh, becoming uh, merging with Big Nerd Ranch. And um, one of the people I worked with back then uh, was Derek Haynes, super great guy and, and taught me more than I could ever say. But one of the things he said to me that has stuck with me forever is there are so few problems 
in our industry that cannot wait till Monday morning. <laughs> and it, like he said that. And at the time I was like, yeah, whatever. And I, I didn't, you know, like internalize it then until I realized that Derek is like one of the only people in software that believes that. Like, seriously, I think almost every person I've worked with since then does not believe that statement. <laughs> like, there are, there, he's right. I mean, like, you know, what happens if our, our app goes down Friday at 6 p.m., you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, will we be hemorrhaging cash or, you know, like, there may be a couple of scenarios where that answer is yes, but it is shockingly fewer than you think it is. Right? There's just like, yeah. and he was so laid back about it. You know, it was like, oh my gosh, we have this big problem. I was like, eh, we'll get to it. You know, like, <laughs> we'll get there. We'll take care of it. No worries. And I was like, there's such a great attitude. And I think that has become like, a massive internal part of who I've become is that I was finally able to see and adopt that attitude. And I believe in that mantra like 110%. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, not to steal anyone's motivation, but I think even if it's something that you're building from scratch, what are the odds that if your startup idea fails, because somehow, somehow, it failed because you didn't work on Saturday. I don't know. But what are the odds that you will never work again? What are the odds you'll never build something, a new, you know, a new project, a new company, a new startup again? We're actually tremendously privileged in this industry that, you know, we do have a lot to fall back on. And Avdi, that relates to something that, that I like to say. You know, I've, I've said this very thing to several friends who've been in tough spots. And I say, I say okay, confidence is not knowing that you won't succeed. Confidence is knowing that even if you fail, you'll still be okay. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll be in shape to pick yourself up and try again. Mm -hmm. And once I got that under my belt, you know, and you know, when I when I was younger, and I realized that you know, and I'd, and I'd had a few setbacks and failures, and I was still able, you know, still able to pick myself up and move forward and continue to be an overall success. It's like I got my confidence. And I think that if you have that kind of confidence that, you know, failure isn't so much a problem for you because there's always the next time and you, and you can fail better next time. That, fail better next time. I like that. Yeah. Well, well we're, you know, it's like try, fail, fail better. You know, that's the cycle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, and you keep failing better until you succeed. You know, so if you have that confidence, then you, you don't necessarily need this driving passion to keep you going. Because you you know you have a different route to success. Absolutely, and you know, and I think people recognize confidence like that too. I think, and and that can actually help you when you have that going for you. There's a certain desperation in the um, sort of frenetic, passionate. I yes. have to you know go 110 percent, coffee, coffee, coffee on this, or I will fail. Uh, approach to life, um, you, and it's not I, attractive. Right. Do you want to learn from? The person that's truly passionate or, you know, like, I mean, like driven, like you have to program this way or end of the world, you know, or do you want to learn from the person who's like laid back and be like, hey, you know what? Here's a trick I learned that saves you like nine times out of ten. <laughs> you know? 
Yeah. It's a totally different mindset and far superior, in my opinion. Yeah. Are we ready to wrap up? Any any last words? Um. It, well, if we're getting to that time, let me... I think we are. If, We've been out at an hour. If, if I may say some last words. Absolutely. For me, I, I think the core of all of this, the, the biggest point that I wanted to make is you have a limited time and energy in your life. The, they Might Be Giants has a song that goes, you're older than you've ever been, and now you're even older, and now you're even older, and now you're older <laughs> still. And it's true. Depressing, but true. And, you know, the point is, in a, in a very literal sense, you have more time now than you ever will again. You have more energy now than you ever will again. You know, aggregate energy across your whole life. So don't let somebody tell you what your passions are. And don't let anybody tell you that you owe passion to a project or to a company, even if it's something that you created. You know, passion is something that it may take time to figure out. It may, you know, what you're truly passionate may take some time to figure out. It may take a lot of pain to figure out. Matter of fact, if it doesn't take pain to figure out, there's probably something wrong. I read some advice once that said, if you want to find out what your real purpose in life is, uh, start writing things down that you're interested in and just keep doing it until you get to one that makes you cry. So, yeah, you don't owe, owe your passion to any project or company or anything else. And if you don't know what you're passionate about yet, that's fine. Like I said, it can take time. But if you're going to throw yourself heart and soul into, into something, let it be because of your passions that you have worked out based on your deepest values, not you know, based on something that somebody tell, told you that, you know, was worth being passionate about. I guess that's kind of my whole point with, with this. Awesome. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks then. James, you want to start us off? Sure. I have just one pick this time, and I'm actually going to ask a favor. Uh, I've never done that before, so I figure I can do one every three years. A friend of mine is doing this fundraising thing for uh, raising awareness for children's cancer. And I think it's a super cool thing to do. And um, she's shaving her head and stuff to raise awareness. And then, you know, you can have the conversation with people about that and all that. And anyways, there's this site called St. Baldrick's Foundation where you can uh, donate. Uh, and uh, so I'm, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to uh, my friend, Christy Dawson, who's doing this. And uh, if you haven't done your good deed for today, I'm asking that you make it this one and give a couple of bucks or something and help her do that because I think it's a really important cause and it's a cool thing and I think it would be great for us to support that. That's it. Thanks. All right. Josh, what are your picks? Uh, I was afraid you were going to do that. What was that um, thing that I said I was going to pick earlier? <laughs> I'm, I'm flailing here. Um, You're the guy who coined uh, Follow Your Bliss. Oh, yeah, Joseph Campbell. Thank you, James. So years ago, uh, Bill Moyers did a series of interviews with Joseph Campbell talking about the power of myth. And uh, it's great. It's, you know, if, you're, if you've never been exposed to Joseph Campbell and his views on mythology, you know, he takes a very Jungian view about mythology and you know, explains why uh, Luke Skywalker is the archetypal hero. And all the things that he does in his path get done by all the heroes and how you can relate it to your own life. And this is where all that follow your bliss came from. So it's a lot of fun to walk, like see him all engaged about this and hear all of uh, his take on mythology and how it applies to our lives in, in fairly meaningful ways. So, And there's also a book companion to that. Yeah, so I'm going to pick that. And then uh, I have a, an even 
less meaningful, I don't know, uh, even less technical pick. Uh, so Apple TV, I've been, uh, been a little late up lately and watching a lot of TV. So uh, new season of Sherlock is out, in, but it's not like on Netflix yet. And I discovered that Apple TV has this PBS app, you know, one of the, one of the top level things, PBS. And you can watch all the new episodes of Sherlock on there. So that's been keeping me happy. So that's it for me. I'll, I'll, oh yeah! I'll, oh yeah! An, an yeah. addendum to that: uh, we yeah. discovered the same thing about our Roku box. Oh, you can get a, P, a PBS like local PBS app for that, and you can watch Sherlock on it. Yeah, you just have to tell it what your local station is, and yep. then you're all hooked. Yeah, great, cool. You didn't answer the most important question: Is Sherlock season three amazing? Uh, so far, it's the best season I've yeah. Ooh, that that really sets the bar high because the <laughs> the end of the second season is like. 90 minutes of my favorite television. Right Man, now. you're, you're going to love the new season. <laughs> cool. Yeah, the writing is really tight. I like it. So, Okay, done for me. Yeah, well, those guys picked up some experience doing the Hobbit movies, so can only get better, <laughs> right? All right. Benedict picks? picked up some experience doing every movie. You mean. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Avdi, what are your picks? So um, it may come as a surprise that despite not being a passionate programmer. I still have a ton of fun in, in what I do. And so my picks today are actually things, both things that have been picked before on the show, but I don't care because I've just sort of dug into them recently and I've been having so much fun with them. First off is Postgres, specifically Postgres 9.3. I finally took the time to dig into its uh, JSON capabilities. You can put JSON columns and tables and it's freaking awesome. <laughs> because you can just like if you have some source of data uh, that in JSON format, like from some third-party API, you can just like toss all of that into Postgres. Just like take it in whatever form it's in in, in JSON. Just toss it into Postgres. And you can figure out what to do with it later because Postgres stores it in JSON format, and you can do these neat like JSON pathing queries against it. Or um, this is something I haven't even gotten in, gotten into yet, but apparently you can also do use like PLV8 to to use jQuery or whatever and JavaScript stuff against it. But uh but yeah, you can do all these JSON queries and you can like you can construct a view which makes that big mass of JSON data that you threw in there from some external source look like any other table because you've used you've constructed the view out of a, a select which which just like selects down into the JSON data. And you can put indexes on that on those um JSON attributes. So you can accelerate the queries for them, um, just like you would accelerate any other any other query, even though it's pulling data out from deep in some blob of JSON, it's super cool. Um, and also in the the JSON vein, there is this cool tool called JQ, which is basically it's basically awk for J for JSON data. It's like a single executable, and you just down you download it, and you can start doing fancy queries against it, JSON d- data. Like you can pipe curl into it and stuff like that. And reshape the data or select it specific parts out of it and all kinds of cool stuff. I used it to, uh, to take some data from a, an API and, uh, basically chunk it into, into line, line-wise records. And then I could just, like, uh, import that directly into Postgres all in the command line using the Postgres copy command. And it was, it was super fast and an amazing way to get a ton of data in it at once. So yeah, these tools have been just, like, blowing my mind. That's awesome. it. Awesome. All right, well, I don't really have any picks. I had a sinus infection earlier this week, and uh, I basically just slept all week. So, Is that an pick- an- anti-pick? I guess my pick is antibiotics. 
<laughs> Yay, science! <laughs> You're not picking the neti pot? I've never tried the <laughs> neti pot. Okay, we'll talk later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you and Dave. Dave might come over here and force me to use one. I think there's laws against that. <laughs> <laughs> Waterboarding is illegal, huh? Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, so I'm feeling much better now. I incidentally, since I slept for three days and I usually don't make it to the gas station over the weekend, I haven't had caffeine in five days, so <laughs> I've been pretty tired anyway, but yeah, it's it's been quite the week, so. Anyhow, uh, by the time you're listening to this, I should be back on my feet and feeling great, so. Before we wrap up, though, I do want to mention that we are going to be talking to Pat Shaughnessy in a couple of weeks about Ruby Under a Microscope. So if you haven't picked up the book and started reading it yet, please hurry. I just finished it, and it's so good. You have got to read this book. I know, right? It's really good. Seriously. Awesome. Chuck, you wanted to mention the Do Podcast. I did. We did an episode, was it two weeks ago? Call it last month. Last <laughs> last month we talked about depression with Greg Bogus and uh, anyway uh, the Do Podcast guys pointed out that they had done an episode on it like two weeks before and they had a little bit different conversation than we did so I just want to give them a shout out go check out their podcast on Ruby and the Ruby community and listen to that one too and hopefully we'll be even uh, more aware and better informed on how to help other people in our community and thank you for reminding me you bet. All right. Well, we'll wrap up the show then. We'll catch you all next week. <laughs>